This is the Cross of Grace Lutheran Church Sermon Podcast. On February 16, 2020, we gathered to worship on the sixth Sunday after Epiphany. Pastor Aaron Stamper preached on Jesus' teachings concerning anger, adultery, divorce, and oaths as presented in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 to 37. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into the fire of hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The gospel of the Lord. That's one we get only every three years, so the worst part's over. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus the Christ, and the Holy Spirit who unites us in faith. Amen. So my family is sandwiched between our two boys' birthdays, which fall in January and March. So having a new 8-year-old and a soon-to-be 11-year-old is proving to be a bit of an adjustment, just like each of the past birthdays has been an adjustment. Now, I'm not on Facebook, but my wife showed me a picture that popped up on those uh, On This Day So Many Years Ago posts on Facebook that was dated just before we moved to New Pal. And our kids did look little. With each passing year, my wife and I find ourselves struggling to adapt to the challenges of parenting through new stages. And the new stages come just about every week, it seems. We're constantly wondering what it means to be a good parent. 
And the answers that we come up with today, when we do come up with answers, are different than they were six years ago, like when we were their parents, or different, certainly, than they were almost 11 years ago. Now, obviously, thinking back to that time when Nolan was a newborn, parenting a newborn is incredibly difficult. It's emotionally and physically exhausting. But the existential parenting concerns that parents of newborns face are pretty limited at that time, right? As long as the kid is being fed, changed, kept warm, loved, and getting sleep, though never as much as we'd like them to, parents are uh, excelling. You're knocking it out of the park. Parents are incapable at that stage of making any more or any tougher parenting decisions at that stage. But as a child grows and interacts with more and more of the world, the definition of a successful parent becomes less and less clear. Sure, a parent always wants to make sure that the child's basic needs are being met. But as I parent my growing children, I know that my responsibilities go far beyond simply making sure that their basic needs are being covered. It's a movement from how do I keep this baby alive to what kind of life can I provide for this child? And even still further, what is my role in this child's life? So this movement from the difficult simplicity of newborn parenting to the difficult complexity of parenting through the lifespan is, I think, a helpful model to think about spiritual formation. When our faith is new, we can only handle the basics. At this stage, our concerns echo the concerns of the parents of a newborn. All right? How do I keep this thing alive? So at that stage, we need clear-cut definitions and distinctions. A faith like this tends to pull things to opposites, to polarities or dualities. We need to know what is good and what is bad, who God is and who God isn't, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, who's in, who's out. And it's a well-documented fact that many people never move beyond this stage of faith. They're handed a script and they're content to play their part, no questions asked. But others do move on from this stage of faith. And that's when things become messy, complicated. Things are no longer black or white. Instead, there is nuance. There's give and take. There's gray areas. There's constant wrestling with the matters of truth. This stage of faith is like the parenting stage where every comment or directive or instruction given to a child is met with the same answer. Why? is probably none of our favorite parenting stages that we've been through. But we have that voice in our head. It's asking why. Voice tells us the basics aren't enough. We need more explanation, more nuance, more grace, a more pronounced role in the decision-making process of our lives. So whereas a newborn faith is characterized by either-or thinking, a more mature faith is characterized by yes-but or yes-and thinking. 
which is what Jesus presents in the gospel today. Jesus uses his Sermon on the Mount to invite us to cultivate a more mature and, yes, messy faith. A faith that moves beyond simple obedience to the law and into a more holistic and encompassing vision of the transformation of one's heart and one's life. See, we have to move beyond the old law because that old law had become corrupted. The law made its followers feel insecure, weak, and unacceptable. And when you've convinced someone that they're unacceptable, well, they're more inclined to do what you want them to do because human beings go to great lengths to be accepted, don't they? So what better way to cement your power over someone than by establishing laws that you know they will be incapable of obeying? With every mistake and misstep, those people saw themselves as further and further away from the ideal of God, which they assumed those pious religious leaders were following, that they were doing a better job than they were. So Jesus comes into this environment with a radical new message, which is also an invitation. In his sermon, Jesus presents snippets of the old law, and he says, You have heard that it was said, But he's not just bringing up the law to remind people of how far away they are from God. Just how devastated they should feel for not following the law. No, he's bringing it up because he has something to add. He has some nuance, some explanations, some questions, perhaps. So he says, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus invites us to understand that there is a divine law. And it's not a set of rules to follow, but instead it is a blueprint for a God-shaped heart, energized by love. You see, Jesus is an example of what it would look like to live our lives as God would live them if God were you or I. Let me say that again. Jesus is an example of what it would look like to live our lives as God would live them if God were you or I. See, the law had suppressed the people for so long that they doubted that they were fundamentally good people. And consequently, they doubted whether God was fundamentally a good God. But here comes Jesus with this message that, yes, God is good. Yes, all people are inherently precious. And that it is possible to live with a God-shaped heart, here and now. Now, in what we read today, Jesus includes a few examples. And we don't need to get too far into the weeds in this. We, uh, simple glossing over it will, will suffice. Here's what he's saying. He's saying a man or woman who lives with a God-shaped heart would have an intense desire to be of help in the world. Such a person would have neither contempt for others nor lust for others. Such a person, a man in this particular example, would never divorce his wife simply because he felt like it, simply on a whim, which was a common practice at the time. And such a person would only say how things are or are not. There would be no verbal manipulation. Now, I started this morning by addressing the question that is on many of our hearts. How do I know if I'm a good parent? 
But here we have a picture of what it looks like to be a good Christ follower, a good person, which are all kind of one and the same. See, a good person seeks to follow in the footsteps of Christ by recognizing the inherent dignity and worth of every person and cooperating with the ongoing work of God in the world. And God is at work in the world expressing acts of loving kindness. So we act out of love. We trust in God. And we're not to be preoccupied with checking off a list of spiritual do's and don'ts as if spiritual perfection is something we are striving for. This would only tear us down. Or, conversely, if we find ourselves good at it, we would overinflate our ego, which would ultimately mean you're not good at it. But instead, Jesus reframes the law to show that it is possible to live in the kingdom of God here and now. And the Holy Spirit will help us on this journey of discipleship. Now, it takes a long, long time to feel any sense of movement or formation into a God-shaped heart. But transformation is possible. And if that is what you seek, then God will take delight in giving that to you. And I can think of no better news to announce to you this morning. Amen.